This evening, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth, trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to his throne. Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 416. Pre-recorded, but thinking of you. My name is Caleb Hag. And I'm like looking at the day going, wait, what is the day? Uh, which is not unnormal for me. So <laughs> I'm Rob Vanhoff. <laughs> so we're actually recording on January 23rd. But the day that this premieres and the day that you're watching this is the 25th. So that's why Rob's confused, but that's okay. Uh, no, that's not the only reason, but you know, we can. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm on vacation. I'm on a short two day vacation with the fam. Right on, man. And uh, uh, hopefully I'm having a good time right about now. Um, we have a good show, I think, in store for everyone today, even though you might not be able so. to reach <laughs> us live. 
Yeah, right. We hope it's always a good show. Um, admit I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Yeah, so th- so this is this is an interesting pre-recording, and the reason why is because Rob normally what happens is we get together on Mondays and we talk about the various comments that have been left. We talk about topics we might have in our brains that we want to talk about, uh, emails that have come in. Uh, audio voice recordings that have come in, all sorts of stuff. And then what we do is we kind of start to shape the show. And uh, we'll, by the time we're done with our meeting, we will leave with a fairly good idea of what we're going to uh, talk about. And then on Tuesday, I usually will do some research if, if need be and, and kind of lo- tie up loose ends. Then on Wednesday, we, we go live and we record. Well, we haven't been able to do any of that. In fact, this is this technically is the meeting where we would talk about what we want to talk about. So Rob has no clue what's coming. He has no, he's going in fresh, baby going in fresh, <laughs> which could be good or it could be bad. Well, I guess we'll yeah. just have to see. But the thing is, is that, uh, so I, the main topic we're going to talk about, uh, he doesn't know this by the way, but I'll, I'll give him a little forewarning. We're going to talk about first Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 and whether or not, uh, and we talked about this on mystery Bible theater 3000 a little I bit. Better, I better pull this up last Friday. Well, we're not talking about it yet. That's main topic. That's main oh, topic. First stuff. Thessalonians four though. Well, that's yeah, right. I'll get 13 okay. through 18. Um, and so on mystery Bible theater 3000 last Friday, we, uh, we talked about a, prophecy that did not come true, but is still for some reason up on YouTube. I don't understand. Like if I'm going to like, I would think that if someone's going to botch a, a prophetic word from the Lord, you take that down pretty quick. Not this guy. No, he, he leaves it up anyway. So we, we talked about that and uh, I was baffled that people still believe in the rapture. And, uh, and this guy, we know, in fact, this guy was not raptured. Mm hmm. Okay. He's put he put up a video four days ago. So, um, oh, still here. <laughs> he's still here. He sucks still... to be me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so during... he's like, oh, man, I must not have been part of the, uh, the church. Exactly. Uh, but because of this, uh, I, I made the, the comment that I was like, in my ignorance, and I admit that it's full ignorance, I'm not locked into a church that is uh, rapture esque. You know, the, the church that I attend, it does not believe in a pre-trib rapture. Now, we should, we need to talk about, we'll talk about all this. Anyway, so I, I was mentioning that I was uh, baffled that, that people still believed in the rapture. We've gotten some, we've gotten some interesting uh, responses to that. Not bad in any way, shape, or form, but people just saying, okay, well, you got to explain that. You know, how do you take First Thessalonians for them? Um, which, it, it, it's going to be a good opportunity for us also to plug uh, my father's uh, soon to be commentary on first and second Thessalonians, uh, which by the way, I, I jumped into this morning for the first time. And I have to say, as is my father's work all around, uh, it is, there's no, there's no slacking off in his, uh, in his commentary on Thessalonians. Yeah, it's awesome. I caught one last week, but it wasn't the current, it was, it was a recording from a couple weeks prior. And right. It was, it was great, man. It was. It so was if you, uh, uh, by the way, if you don't know, and I'll, pu- I'll pull this up on the screen for you. Torresource.com is who's, who uh, produces this show. The show is produced by Torresource.com. My father is the CEO and president of Torresource. But uh, for those who don't know, Torresource is a messianic, uh, a messianic ministry, which is, I think, ironic because uh, Rob and I talk about how 
opposed to mainstream Messianic Judaism we are. We're critical of, of the use of the term. Yeah. Yes, we are very critical of the use of the term. However, my father uh, would center himself, I believe, somewhere in the Messianic movement. And uh, we we work for my father. And yeah. my father... Well, I think he would also be, agree with some of the criticisms, the criticism, we've talked about, yeah, abs- yeah. absolutely. Um, so my father has worked for 21 years now uh, at his company, Torah Resource. He created it in 2002, and uh, he has worked diligently for the past 21 years to create biblical commentaries from a pro-law, one-law perspective. One law meaning that the Torah is uh, applicable for Jew and Gentile alike, and that there that there's no greater status for the Jew, the Jew in terms of Torah observance, uh, that all the Torah applies to Jew and Gentile alike. Anyway, with all of that said, if you want to be a part of my father's uh, weekly Bible study, it is free. You can catch it on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific time. And uh, you can sign up for it on TorahResource.com. Link at the bottom of your screen right now if you're watching this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find all sorts of other... Uh, my father has over 100 uh, articles that he has written on Torah Resource. Mm-hmm. He has over 4,000 hours of audio lectures uh, on Torah Resource, which you can have access to for less than $10 a month. Anyway, uh, honestly, I can't say enough about my father's work, uh, and I I know that most of the people who who sadly he has been by the back to that term messianic, right? He's been totally unjustly marginalized and even silenced. Oh yeah, or, silenced or, or, is, or, is, or is blacklisted. The maybe is the best way to put it within American messianic Judaism. That's true. Know? Yeah, yeah, and, and so he, again, I was. Uh, I was reading his his open letter to the IAMCS. The IAMCS uh, did a hit piece on my father saying that my father uh, believes in salvation by works, which, by the way, if you know anything about my father growing up reformed and holding to a very staunch reform <laughs> yeah. uh, theology, my father uh, believes in the five solas, I think, and pushes the five solas more than the, than the mainstream messianic uh, movement today. Uh, oh, and, for sure, yeah. And, and he got so, lumped into like... Uh like lost tribes stuff and all like yeah, they tried to associate him with stuff that it's one of those if we can't beat him let's just lie about him so that it looks bad on him and so yeah. that's what they did and it's unfortunate and it, and it was done by their leading rabbis <laughs> yeah. so it's like oh if this is this is the dribble that you teach your people wow and the funny thing is, is that it's still up. My father did a response to uh, showing within his work every time, you know, like all these times that he talks about salvation by faith alone, salvation by faith alone, salvation by faith alone. The IMCS is undetoured. They just keep their they keep their uh, their their paper up, and they stand by it. So, all right. Hey, you know, at least they're sticking to their guns. If you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna pull a gun out, you better stick to it, right? Okay. Um, so. With all of that said, uh, if you want to be part of this conversation, you can shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also uh, leave a voicemail for us, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us, just an answering machine. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, agree with us, disagree with us, whatever. It does not matter. And you can find past shows, show notes, all sorts of stuff for this show, Messiah Matters, at messiahmatters.com. Okay, Um, let's jump in. Let's just get going. And without the chat room, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, you guys can talk amongst yourselves. Andrew writes in. This is what Andrew says. He says, you guys might have done a show on this before. 
which we have, by the way. In fact, I think we've dedicated an entire show to this topic. But I really want to ask you, why don't the books of the so-called Old Testament Apocrypha, including Sirach, Wisdom of Solomon, Maccabees, and the additions to Daniel, belong in our Bibles? How do we know they are not inspired in the same sense as Genesis and Isaiah, for example? I have read all those books, and they seemed fine. They didn't stick out like a sore thumb. Okay, let's pause right there. Um, there are theological reasons why each one of these books is not in the canon. And uh, the wisdom of Sirach, or I'm sorry, the wisdom of Solomon, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting books mixed up. Sirach, rather, is uh, is a good example of a book that is very pro-Torah. And uh, most people would say, especially in the, in the Torah movement, most people would say, hey, man, this book is awesome. Why is this not in the canon? And the fact is, is that uh, there are theological reasons. One of them, uh, particular, is a mention of uh, salvation by works. Another one, it's a veiled mention of salvation by works. But there are several reasons. You can find reasons online if you look up uh, on online why these books are not in there. There are people who've put lists together of various uh, theological issues with these books. But that's not the reason that they're not in the canon. Well, that's one of the reasons they're not in the canon. That's not the main reason they're not in the canon. Let's go on with Andrew's comment. He says, just so you know, I am not one of those FFOZ types by any means. I affirm Sola Scriptura. I just have trouble understanding why we have to go along with the European reformers on this in accepting only the books that are in the Hebrew Masoretic text. We're going to talk about that in a second. When the church history... Uh, when the church historically accepted those extra books, we're going to talk about that, and possibly the apostles themselves didn't have a problem with those books, since we know they mainly quoted the Septuagint. Okay, and end of Andrew's email. Now, um, with all uh, res due respect, I would disagree with a lot of the last statements historical historicity here. Um, first of all, the European reformers had nothing to do with the canonical books uh, or what is in your canon today. The uh, canon was closed. There's actually three different councils that we can point to, but uh, traditionally the, the closing of the canon was done at the Council of Carthage in 412. Uh, the books of the Apocrypha were not added to the, uh, were not part of that canon. Uh, they were not part of the Jewish biblical canon as we know it. Uh, and the only, and even when the uh, Apocrypha was put with the biblical canon, it was put in the back and separated to show that the books were not considered uh, holy scripture. Uh, it wasn't until the Council of Trent, which happened in the 16th century, that the books were added by the Catholic Church, and they were added by the Catholic Church as a response to the Reformers. And Rob, I'm going to pass this over to you in just a second, um, but the reason they were uh, it was a response to the Reformers is because the apocryphal books were never considered to be Holy Scripture, although they were uh, considered to be on a level of worthy of study. And the Council of Trent decided, well, since, since the Reformers reject the Apocrypha, as everyone has, what we'll do is we'll add them as Holy Scripture to the canon. And now... Because we can. <laughs> because we can, right. And now what they say is, well, the reason for this is so that they can say look to their congregants, look, the Reformers are rejecting Holy Scripture. They don't even believe in the biblical canon. And so they add the Apocrypha as, the, uh, as canonical books in the, 16, in the 16th century, 1500s. And the, the Council of Trent, by the way, went, uh, spanned what? I think it's just under 20 years or something like that. So it was a very long council, but neither here nor there. The point simply is that 
the Catholic Church adds the books of the Apocrypha. They were never considered scripture by uh, the Jews or the Christians up until the, 1600, uh, the 16th century and uh, the Council of Trent. Now the uh, now the Catholic canon is different than the uh, what we could call the Reformed canon, but the Reformed canon is actually the canon that was uh, decided upon by the church in 412 at the Council of Carthage. All right, I'm going to pass this over to you. Go for it, Rob. So, yeah, regarding you were talking about the very that cluster of things that he kind of put together the last sentence or two there. One of is the Septuagint. Um, right. And we've talked about this many times. There, There is no, quote, Septuagint in the first century. It's not like it's a book that you can go buy at the store, right? What we have are various manuscripts of Greek translations floating around and some that are just known like because there's like a, a Greek translation that has been repeated and memorized, and then people have a maybe a just like we might have a, a verse in English, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know, whoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. I that's probably pretty close to the King James version, but it I don't know if it's exactly, but it's something that is in that circulates in our society and you just know it now it's not in the original language but i but i i have a sense of it in memory okay so that happens too right in the first century that's the kind of thing that's sure. going on but uh one thing back to back to plug tim Haig's commentaries particularly you know on the gospels or in galatians or romans where paul is citing or the or yeshua or uh john if it's in john citing uh what we call quote old testament scripture is going back and saying look what are the extant uh textual witnesses that we have to this verse and does it match and there's times where it's really close to what we have in early septuagint copies sometimes it's very very different and um so that's a little too simplistic for uh was it andrew is that yep. yeah for his thinking on that is this, you don't um, it's anachronistic to imagine a quote LXX text. Uh, Septuagint is really a scholarly construct, you know, from later times. So, so that uh, which, is but but we do we do have later. So the the um, the Christians create essentially. A, a book, a codex, right? They they create mm -hmm. the codex, and um, so the. the what I thought was interesting here is is Andrew says, um, uh, I'm sorry, let me yeah, find like this again. Yeah, like 4th and 5th century, yeah. Right, but he says, when the church historically accepted those extra books, I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, where... Yeah, I'm not sure what he means by that. I, I'm not sure where, where you're getting that from, but even in the later codices that the church creates, um, the apocryphal books were never put within the biblical text. They were, they were uh, kept separate. And they were done, and they were separated, and they were usually at the end of the of the codex. The reason that this is is because the church has never accepted the apocryphal books until the the Council of Trent, when the Catholic Church pits itself against the reformers. Keep going, Rob. I'm sorry. Yeah, and <clears throat> regarding the Tanakh, um, we we are acknowledging what Yeshua says that the, when Yeshua affirms the place of the Jerusalem scribes and their responsibility to be preserving the word of God and the Masoretic, uh, can the canon preserved by 
the master eats reflect that scribal um, commitment. Right. It goes back to the scribes of the temple. Uh, and it's against the scribes, for example, that were adding all sorts of stuff as authoritative at Qumran, which completely different scribal world over there at Qumran. So right. where you have like Jubilees and, <clears throat> you know, Enoch and all sorts of uh, astrological treatises and things like that. You know, it's just not part of the faith of Yeshua. Um, so we believe in the the law, the prophets and the writings, like it says in the gospels, that these are inspired words of God. And then the what we call the New Testament is the the accounts, the four, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the the writings that are actually older than those in some regards, like Thessalonians, right? Or Galatians, Romans, right. like, uh, <clears throat> I think the earliest um, scriptural, what we call, quote, New Testament or apostolic writing texts are some of Paul's epistles. Right. Now, the, the gospel was a, <clears throat> pardon me, the gospel was orally communicated, obviously, um, during those first centuries post, uh, post-resurrection, but, um, but they were kind of codified, you know, like Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, um, you know, sometimes a few decades after Paul's writings. Yeah. So uh, all of this to say that uh, I, now there have been people who have, uh, now, I, don't, I don't want to in any way put uh, Andrew down, but if uh, Andrew has uh, other information or is pulling from a source that perhaps maybe a commentary or a source that I'm unaware of, I would love to see that, Andrew. So, um, you know, things such as uh, a claim that the church historically accepted the extra books or that the apostles themselves may have. Now, this usually comes from the idea that the apostles themselves um, accepted the apocryphal books usually comes from a, a mention of Enoch and from the book of Jude, right? Jude uh, seems to allude to, it's possible that he's alluding to several of these uh, apocryphal books. Uh, however, these are never introduced with as the scripture states or, or as any it is of, written or anything or like as that. it is written or anything that, that yeah. would uh, uh, suggest that it is seen as scripture. Uh, rather, in the same way that that uh, Paul references, you know, um, uh, pagan works as well, uh, we would not not think that they all of a sudden are scripture just because he's referencing them. So, right. and that's a good point, Cale. Just on that is that that it is written is a crucial, crucial statement, a tie down that Yeshua uses, his disciples use. It is written, right, and that uh, that's that's what we care about. And so, when the reformers did i mean there there is something to be said about the reformers affirming the original languages of the canon right and it, it is there was a move against the catholics you know that the, the rome did not like which was the question of of authority and right. you know, like look you know we we don't need to look at the latin we're not beholden to to this you know this giant institution isn't Rather, it interesting? We're beholden do, to the what is written. Do, isn't it interesting that the that the battle that uh, the Reformation essentially sparks with the Catholic Church is over authority and where we get our authority from? And yet, you have within the Torah movement today, 
you have, and this is one of the reasons that Rob and I have been so critical of various aspects of the Torah movement. I was talking to my wife about this just the other, just the other day that, you know, we, the messian, there are people within the messianic realm that are very, very unhappy with Rob and me right now and are saying so online. And then you have people in the Hebrew roots movement who also are really not very happy with us. Right. And so within the Torah movement, we're getting it from both sides. And then, no, Caleb, we need to change our video. We need to change our, uh, Exactly. Exactly. But, but that, but that's the thing is that, is that it seems to me that, um, we're pushing against something that's happening within the Torah movement. And I think ultimately where, what that is not across the board, it needs to be stated very clearly. This is not across the board. There are people, many people within the Torah movement today who believe in Sola Scriptura and believe in the, uh, in the authority of scripture. However, Within the Messianic movement and also within the Hebrew Roots movement, what you have is a push against Sola Scriptura. And really what we're fighting is the exact same thing that the Reformers fought, which was a battle over authority. And who and who has the authority to lead the believers? And what Rob and I are saying is, it's scripture. And I think what a lot of people within the Torah movement are saying is, oh, it's rabbis, it's you know, it's these councils of, of rabbis. It's, you know, whatever. It's the Mishnah. It's the Talmud. It's the, exactly. Exactly. The Zohar. Yeah. But Interesting. And, and those who seem to push more that direction have a natural alliance with Catholicism and their, and, and uh, take against Protestantism. So I, I totally, like, it, they like say as Mark, much. Uh, Mark, uh, like Kins, is it Kinzer? Kinzer. Yeah. Kinzer. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about. Look, you will be good rabbinic, quote, believers, and you be good Catholics, and right. we'll acknowledge each other's authority, tradition, legal authority structure, and and we'll both be allied against those Protestants, who silly, silly reformers, they don't realize, you know, and it's just like wow, that's but really you have what you want. Uh, I think you have this in. I think you have this on multiple levels, not just within uh, like the messianic realm, although we can point to it in the messianic realm. But I think you have this within Christianity as well. So you have people like Dr. Kinzer who are who have openly said that the Gentile Christians should just be in the in the Catholic Church, and that the Jewish Christians should be in the messianic movement. And then you have people like Dr. Michael Brown who calls himself a messianic Jew because he's ethnically Jewish and he is a believer. Although I wouldn't necessarily put him in the messianic the messianic movement, but nonetheless. And you have, no, but he's happy. He's happy to give blurbs on the back of books like Shapira. You know, like he'll, he'll right. promote Shapira, right. Shapira as a quote Jewish believer right. voice that's recognized. But even uh, though but, it, even though his light, he's not going to see. I guess my as, my point is obligatory or anything like that. Agreed. My point with with uh, Brown though is that Brown tends to be more centered in the charismatic movement, and you and he supports people um, like Sid Roth and whatnot who are getting these words from the Lord. And so now all of a sudden the the authority marker shifts a bit because it's like, well, the scripture is authoritative, and I think Dr. Brown would say that. But at the same time, you have these people who are saying, I got a word from the Lord, and he told me. Now all of a sudden, are these are these authoritative as well? You know, where is the authority marker in in the prophetic words from the Lord? And why aren't we shunning the... So this authority marker tends to move yeah, depending and that's where on we denomination. See, you know, I haven't watched a lot of the Sid Roth, but there's a serious lack of discernment, I think, with oh. Michael Brown, both with 
right. the Sid Roth stuff. Like he's hosted people about, you know, the aliens and the, and the, the, you know, the whole thing. And then um, <clears throat> the, uh, the Itzhak Shapira. So these are places where people in the charismatic leaders, messianic quote unquote leaders in the messianic realm who have a voice like Dr. Brown is the one I'm talking about, who, in my opinion, has demonstrated serious lack of discernment. Right. And the question is, where does discernment come from in that domain? If if I am this if I have this attitude of, oh, I'm open to a prophetic word from anybody, I can't judge anything. I have to, I have to just hear it. That's again, <laughs> that's the problem back to the food, right? God says, don't just eat anything you want. Right. You don't that's right. not the way it works. You don't just eat anything you want. And Yeshua says, be careful what you hear. Be careful what you listen to. Right? We have to have discernment. We have to have some sort of gate, some sort of right. filter whereby right. we say, wait a minute. But see, whatever Dr. Brown has contributed in terms of his scholarship of uh answering of Jewish objections to Yeshua, for example, and he's done some good grounded work in that great domain. work yeah yeah whatever agreed so yeah. no matter what that gain is for some reason he there's no filter when it comes to uh like shapira to where he'd say wait a minute wait a minute hold on right. but for like us like <clears throat> alarms are going off you know and i wrote a review on that like you know several years ago that which can be found on messiahmatters.com yeah and the idea is like I haven't seen anybody answer my, my, you know, I don't know how many people have read it. Maybe only 36 people have read my response to the coach. Can you page. expect any more, Rob? Can you expect but the idea any is more? Like, come on. Like who is, are there any takers? No, it's, oh, he's, he's just a Gentile. He, he, you know, he's not Jewish. Well, once again, it's, it's just, it's just like the conversation that we had earlier about my father. They have to silence you somehow because they can't respond. There's no response. There's no biblical response to what you're saying. There's only external responses. To and and here's the thing. I think this is a thing. So like I've written uh, about, uh, what was that? Uh, what was it? Oh, Tent of David, right? The Tent of David. Um, right. Which was a, a FFOZ. I think... To, at some point, they have to stop responding to us by name, because what they realize is they have to actually go and shift into "I got to ignore this," right? Be because otherwise, they're I think giving we all have to do that. <clears throat> we all do even that. to even to name it though. But they don't want people reading our reviews. They don't want people reading. Oh your no, dad. no! Of course not. No. And we don't want people reading them. But we'll tell. We'll tell that. We'll actually mention names, <laughs> but if they say I, don't read Tim Haig, don't read Rob Vanoff's review of Kosher Pig, then people right. are going to go, "Oh, there's a review of Kosher Pig I could read that they don't." An like. unfavorable review yeah. of Kosher Pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, mm. but I mean, in fairness, in fairness to people like FFOZ and Shapiro and those guys who don't want people coming to our to, to our unfavorable reviews. I understand not wanting to point people to that kind of stuff because I don't really want people going and reading Shapira's book, but at the same, and, you know, and even like uh, Jeff Durbin and those guys, when they, when they were responding to us, they never mentioned us by name. They never mentioned our channel, nothing like that. 
And so I, I kind of understand that, but yeah, I agree with you there. There it's a silencing mechanism. Okay. But there are times when we do mention names. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, so. I think for us, we, you know, sometimes we have to, and the reason why is because people say, where are you getting this? Or people will say, right. what do you say about Shapira's book? Right. Or exactly. even worse is when people say to us things like, you should read Shapira's Return of the Kosher Pig. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, let's, goes, uh, yeah, I'll, get on, I'll get on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to jump right on that. Um, okay, let's move on. Jeremiah uh, wrote me a uh, question. And thank you, Jeremiah, for this. He says, I have a question. I know you guys have spoken about church membership and accountability slash church discipline. I have a question, though. How do you how do you submit to a church that disagrees about the Sabbath or other days that the Lord has appointed, or to elders that firmly believe it is totally okay to eat unbiblical food? Okay, um, I can speak to this. I think somewhat directly because um, I was in a Messianic Jewish congregation. My wife and I were sent out by that congregation to start our own fellowship on Saturdays that was geared more towards people who were um, not necessarily going to want to observe all things Messianic. In other words, Gentiles who were not used to a traditionally Jewish service or anything Jewish, but were used to their church, they just we're now interested in, in the Sabbath. And so we started a, a small church. The Lord used that for about five years. Uh, and praise the Lord for that. We had we made some great connections. But ultimately, we that ended up uh, dismantling. And we moved on to a church, which we now attend. And the church that we go to is not a nominational. However, I would say that although they're not associated with a denomination, they're clearly Presbyterian, um, which we are not. And that's totally fine for us. Um, and the uh, teaching is very good. However, they it has been made clear from the pulpit that they believe that the Sabbath has been moved to Sunday. And um, simply from the church picnic, which we attended in the summer, uh, it's clear that people are not keeping a kosher diet there, which is between them and the Lord. So obviously, back to Jeremiah's question, how do we, uh, how do we submit to church authority that is wrong on these things. And I think that this is a bit of a, every situation is different. We have been blessed to be in a church where um, many of the congregants that are at the church we go to know my father and know the work that he's done before. And they know of him within the community of our city. In other words, they know about him, him leading a messianic congregation and uh, some of his background. And so many people are happy uh, to not only see my family there, but to, you know, oh, I knew you when you were six years old. Oh, I saw you grow up. You know, I, I knew you when you were 11, these kind of things. So, um, I think we have a little bit of a, in there, not in terms of us trying to do anything to the church. We have not entered this, this congregation attempting to, uh, evangelize or to ch change them. We are there to, uh, lift up and to be lifted up. And so I think, Unlike many who, uh, who are Torah observant, I think a lot of people go into a church as Torah terrorists. In other words, you should listen to what I have to say. And we haven't entered in that way. With all of that said, 
we attempt to submit to our leadership uh, as best we can without, of course, going against the scriptures. And I think that our I think that our uh, our leadership would agree with that. Now, not everyone's going to have that situation. There's going to be plenty of people who go into church, and the leadership is going to be very upset about people wanting to keep a Saturday Sabbath or wanting to keep the the kosher laws. And so, um, once again, my situation is not going to be the same as everybody else's. What we do is we believe that the scripture is obviously above any man-made authority. And so we will submit to the authority of the church as best we can, unless it is asking us to go against what we believe the scriptures clearly state. Um, Now, since we haven't made a big deal about that, in other words, we haven't gone in saying, you know, the Sabbath is really on Saturday, or I can't believe that there's, you know, bacon in this pea salad over here. How dare I'm going to flip the table kind of a thing. You know, we simply pass over the pea salad with bacon in it and eat something else. Or, you know, and we go to church on Sunday, Sunday, but we keep the Sabbath in our home on Saturday. And that's, I don't think that we have made a big deal about that to our leadership. But I think that it is—it's a touchy situation for a lot of people. Rob, yeah, I, I appreciate you know what what you're doing there, and and you know we're not members of any church, so I'm not, um, you know I we we my wife and I we did that uh, many years ago, and we still lived in the Seattle area. I worked with the at my job. Uh, I worked with the. A guy I became really good friends with who was a pastor of a church. And so we started going there and I started leading music and stuff like this. And so, and it was, it was a Sunday church. And I actually, he said, Hey, would you, you know, teach the teen? So my wife and I took them like through the book of James and stuff like that. And we did a Passover Seder for them. So they knew where we stood on those things, but we, we, you know, for, for that whole season, I think it was just over a year. We really poured ourselves into that little community. It was just a little church. Right. It was of a particular denomination. And, um, but we, we realized for us, then again, like you're, I I agree with your point. Every situation is different because you don't know what the Lord's going to do. Right. You know, um, that this situation got it it got to be um to where it was clear that the there was agendas in place that were were really not interested and it really wasn't it, it in our view it really wasn't sadly a word of god oriented situation like we had thought in other words our perception of the situation was more naive initially and we poured ourselves into it and got some bumps and bruises along the way. Sure. But it, it was still part of our, our own path and our, our own uh, kind of growth in a, in, in discernment. Um, and so I, I would encourage people who are in a situation like if, now, maybe you're not like Caleb's situation where you have connections or family history over many generations um, to to go and to, there's nothing wrong with going and, and experiencing different local expressions of the church. Um, but I agree that if 
you know, you got to have your deal breakers, you know, and if, if your deal breaker is, depends on where you draw that line. If the deal breaker is, well, they don't keep the Sabbath, so I can't go. Well, you might be, you might be uh, missing out on an opportunity there if you're going to be that strict about it. Uh, if you're wanting to find a place that you can go and be a teacher, but you, you yourself right. don't, you know, haven't had any personal spiritual growth of your own, that's not going to go well. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a humbling but situation. If, but if, but if you go like, kind of like, like Caleb, like you're doing, you say, look, I, I come from a, you know, 66 book canon. Um, I believe in, uh, the Sola Scriptura, right. You know, with the doctrines of grace. So you go into a, a, a reformed kind of world. That's, that's totally doable. I think, you know, I think that's totally doable. And, uh, uh, but also you don't want to be um, like Caleb. I imagine you stick out because probably no one else is wearing tzitzit, I would imagine. That's um, true. So, so that's, that's something, but, but. Uh, yeah. I, I, here's the thing is that I, I, I think that as an adult, it's a little bit different. I'm kind of, I, I wouldn't say I'm waiting for the hammer to fall, but I am kind of, I, I'm, I'm, aware that conversations will probably at some point come. And those conversations will probably be like, I see that you've been wearing tzitzit. Get, tell me about that. Or, um, you know, I saw one of your shows where you were talking about the Sabbath. Or, um, you know, hey, you invited me to a Passover Seder and it was great. Let's talk about that. I mean, those kind of things. You know, we, we've, we've uh, considered recently inviting the pastoral team of our church over for Passover, not because we're trying to get them to all of a sudden start celebrating Passover every year, but rather because we think that it would be beneficial for them to uh, celebrate a Passover and to connect those dots within the Gospels. And so it's once again, it's not like I'm trying. I'm not on a mission to try to change my my past the pastoral team of my church over to this uh, to being Sabbatarians. With that said, I also understand that. Uh, it, there could be a situation where they say, hey, you know, we don't align with with what you believe. Maybe it's time for you to leave. Now, I honestly don't think that that would happen at the church that we're currently at, because um, I think there's a lot of reasons I don't think that that would, current, that that would happen at the church we're currently at. And I hope it doesn't, but it may. And if that's the case, I'm, I think I'm more prepared for that than, say, my children are. My child, but the reason that we chose the church that we're at is because the the children's program is so good. Um, they're the the Sunday school teachers are extremely well educated, like MDiv educated, and are teaching biblical concepts. See, that's that, a good benefit. That's a really good yeah. That's an important consideration when you're evaluating all these kinds of things, right? Like why it it you know if I if I can say, okay, you know what, I don't, it, it's not as important that they're not teaching the Shabbat for the whole community, but I like the youth group teachers, right? You know, and I, I'm, and there's, I see enough theological diversity, even among this local body here that it's like, okay, so there's room to breathe. And that's, that's good. That's a, that's a, a important point. But if we were asked to leave, which I, I pray and hope does not happen, but if we were asked to leave, I think that our children would be the ones who would uh, be more shocked or more 
uh, you know, affected by that. And not that we wouldn't be affected. Please don't hear that. We've made some unbelievable connections with people at this church, and we are very blessed to be among uh, among believers that not only are willing to discuss the word, but are and and not discuss the word in terms of us. Uh, constantly trying to change people's minds. Once again, it's not like that at all. It's more of people building us up in the word and us trying to build them up in the word. And uh, so that has been very good. It's been very, very good for us. And and we're happy to be there. When it comes to uh, authority, though, I I do... I really feel for some people who are in churches and are having a very difficult time because their leadership is is um, really challenging them in their in what they believe, um, and that may happen to me at some point. But uh, for now, I haven't had to deal with that. So what we do is we attempt to um, attempt to lift up with the word as best we can, and we attempt to uh, submit to the authority. In and so far, that hasn't been a problem. I, that's probably not a very good answer to Jeremiah, and I apologize if that doesn't uh, if that doesn't help you. But uh, that's that's the best I can that's the best I can give you right now. Okay, we're going to move on. We're going to move on to the topic of. The yeah, you could write an article for your Pronomian website called um, "How to Pick a Church." Uh, we have. Oh, okay. It's up there, man. It's up okay, there. Okay, there you go. Plug it. Plug that. F- five things to, to look for. I, I believe there is a blog post, five things to look for in a church or five things to consider, and then five reasons to leave a church. There um, you we, go. We, okay, I, Jeremiah, that's all up check there. Check that out. Check out that article. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Race Armada wrote in and said, I've been blessed by both uh, you both. By the way, this was on our Mystery Bible Theater 3000. I've been blessed by you both for over three years and align with you on all primary doctrinal issues, original languages, pro-law as well. I wanted to ask your clarification because I find this to be surprising. The dead in Christ rising up first, then who alive will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. The doctrine widely known as the rapture. From this video... That is the Mystery Bible Theater 3000. It sounds like you two don't believe that will happen. If that's the case, how do you interpret 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18? I'm very post-trib because Matthew 24 is very clear. The saints will be here while the trib goes down. Verse 29 says immediately after the trib. And verse 31 is where he gathers his elect. Is there another view of these scriptures that I have not known? Okay, so I think there needs to be a little bit of clarification. What I am, um, what I don't believe in is a pre-trib rapture. That is that God will, that Christ will come and he will take all the believers out of this world and take them into some kind of I don't know what you want to say. He'll take him into heaven or I'll take him into a waiting room until all is accomplished on earth and then judgment will come. Um, basically that we will be taken out from the tribulation. That's what I'm, that's what I mean by, uh, like I didn't know anybody still believed in that. And what I mean by th- in that is the pre-trib rapture. Um, I think that the scriptures are very, very clear that the believers are going to have a very difficult time here on earth and that many, uh, that the persecution will get so bad that many will fall away. Um, So it's not that I don't believe in a rapture. If what we mean by a rapture is that we will meet the Lord in the air. And I, what I did was I went and I looked at uh, multiple different commentaries, including my father's commentary, which will, uh, a link will be in the show notes. Uh, to his notes on this on the First Thessalonians four thirteen passage, and what 
all of the uh, Christian commentators that I looked at said was that uh, the imagery of this is all imagery that uh, Paul is giving, whether or not it is literal, like this is exactly what's going to happen, or whether or not he's trying to show that the dead will not miss out. And I think that that's the big, even my father touches on this, that the point of these passages is that the people who die now, they're not going to miss out on the coming of the Lord. They will be, they will raise from the dead and this, they will experience this as well. So I fully believe that there will be a resurrection of the dead and that the imagery that we see of, of the believers going to meet Christ in the air is of a city going out to meet a, a king that is coming to their city. Now, what all of them, and I've only looked at three like a Christian commentaries. What a procession. Is. Yeah. Right, exactly. Now, I've only looked at three Christian commentaries and my father's commentary, but all three of the Christian commentaries mentioned that what would always happen is they'd go out to the king and they'd come, they'd bring him back into the city. But I remember, I think N.T. Wright does a really good treatment of this too. Right. So uh, the way that I've understood this is that uh, Israel will be... and. Uh, full disclosure here, eschatological issues are not my, that's not my thing. I, I, I'm not a end times uh, scholar by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, if you disagree with this, uh, by all means, I'd, I'd love to get emails from you. But this is how I've understood it, is that Israel will be under attack um, and pushed into the inner walls and that uh, the Lord will come back. And when he comes back, his believers and uh, the the elect, those who have faith in Christ, will meet him in the air, and then he will come down and deal with the nations, and that we will come down with him, not that we will be whisked off to some uh, ethereal place right, where we're uh, right, right, but rather that we will come back down with him, and we will then serve him and be with the Lord forever. In other words, the King has saved us, not simply from our own sin, which he has done, certainly which he has done. But at this point in, in the prophecies, it seems like he is saving his people from destruction of physical, temporal destruction of the, of the, of the nations, and that he is now going to deal with uh, the nations, right? And the images of a two-edged sword coming from his mouth is, you know, he's speaking a word or, or something to that effect that takes care of of those who are opposed to him and to his elect and that we are now saved that's and so if we want to call that a rapture which i think we certainly can call that a rapture that we are raptured up to christ uh certainly i believe in in a rapture but i don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and i believe that once that rapture happens we will come back that's down not to, an escape. to earth it's not exactly a, yeah I mean, maybe it's an escape that we like, like a bird coming under the the mother's wings, right? The mm -hmm. the Messiah comes and we oh protection, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, we come to him and and he brings us down and now he's 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 the front man. In other words, it's not it's not our fight to fight anymore. Uh, that's how I've understood this, and uh, so maybe my wording in our uh, Mystery Bible Theater three thousand video is uh, not uh, as accurate as it should be. To simply say that uh, I do believe in a rapture, just not a pre-tribulation rapture, and I don't believe we're going to some um, you know hidden place. Rob, anything else to add to no, that? Nope. Oh come on, you got to add you something. Did, we still got we still a, got ten minutes. You did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good well, job. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, well done. No. 
So we do have other things that we can talk about, and uh, but we're going to save them. And the reason that we're going to save them is because I need to do some more research. Um, maybe I should just touch on this. Tanner uh, wrote in, and he wrote this in two different places, so obviously he, he wants an answer on this. Um, and it's basically a question of whether or not the, well, let's read the beginning of this. Um, should the Torah, meaning the actual mitzvot, chuchot, and the mishpatim, be viewed as distinct from the Mosaic Sinaitic Covenant? I ask this and lean this way because of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. There's a new covenant given here that God says is not like the covenant made at Sinai. The Mosaic covenant was a two-party covenant along with the lines of suzerain vassal treaty, so on and so forth. Uh, so the reason that we haven't answered this, and the, the comment goes on and is, is rather long, um, which is why I'm not going to finish it here. The reason that we haven't, um, that I haven't responded to this yet and we haven't talked about it on the show, Tanner, is simply because... Um, Dr. Daniel Block has a whole section about this very question in his book, in his new book, the 2021 book, Covenant, which I can't recommend enough. I've, it's 700 pages. I've read over half of it. Uh, so I'm not even all the way through it. I'm reading, you know, five pages, 10 pages a day, if possible. Uh, so it's very slow going for me, but it's heavy and it is phenomenal. What I've read so far is is really excellent. He has a whole section on this, and I'm not going to outdo Dr. Block on this. So I would simply point you to that, and I could probably find page numbers for you if you actually wanted me to. Um, but his book, Covenant, is really, really worth everyone taking a look at. You can get it on Kindle, which is what I have it as, or you can uh, get it in book form as well. It's not that expensive uh, compared to most of Dr. Block's works. I think I bought my Kindle version for $25. And I think the- uh, Well, that's a good the, deal. Yeah. And the, well, the actual hard, hard copy. copy. I, I loaned it to my, my nephew. He's like, hey, what theological books do you have? So I gave him like six or seven books and that was one of them. And I'm like- so then I texted him. I'm like, okay, these are the titles because I didn't put my name in them. <laughs> right. These are the titles. So I, I gave him some Wayne Grudem. I gave him the the Covenant, um, a handful of other things. But an another resource for this for Tanner is is Tim Hague's commentary on Hebrews because the Epistle of right. Hebrews basically unpacks Jeremiah 31. It's the uh, the longest continuous citation of a Tanakh passage in the New Testament is right. that is the citation and I believe in chapter eight. And then it's re some of it is repeated again in chapter 10, if I remember correctly. So the whole point is what's the difference between the sons of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood and Yeshua's priesthood? What's the difference? What, why, what does it mean? Not the same. And so the Epistle of Hebrews is the core location in Scripture that that does this contrast back and forth. And Tim Hicks' commentary will get into that. And you know, it gets into the what's what's the difference? What what is it the difference? Um, and you know, off the top of my head, we know that, that some of the differences are things that Yeshua can do that a, that the best son of Aaron cannot do, right? The son of Aaron can be inspired by the Holy Spirit and can preach the word of God and teach the word of God, but cannot bring one person to repentance because as, as much as a son of Aaron can love God with all his heart and serve him in the capacity of a priest, he cannot 
change someone else change someone else's heart. He can't right. even know someone else's heart whether someone's repentance is authentic or not. Right. Um, uh, another is that they're limited. These I'm just pulling right from the Epistle to Hebrews. I mean, it, so it's probably stuff we already know and are well aware of. Limited by lifespan. So right. even if you have the greatest, you know, Yeshua says John the Baptist, not there hasn't been anyone greater born among women. And he's a son of Aaron, right? And he's preaching, but it's not John's preaching that worked repentance. It's the it's the Holy Spirit. Um, so John could not read hearts. John could, you know, um, and, and John was limited by a lifespan. And it's just as Aaron himself died in the wilderness, he was limited in a, in his lifespan, whereas Yeshua is not limited in that way. Right. Um, God himself writes the Torah on the heart of his people. Um, so it's, in, it's instead of being external testimony towards the people of Israel, it's internalized. That's something only God can do. Right. Um, and so th- these are, these are some of the things that come to mind, but again, uh, the book that Caleb's talking about blocks book, the covenant, Tim Hague's commentary on Hebrews. And, uh, the reason I say Tim Hague's commentary along with it, because there's a lot of commentaries on Hebrews, um, out there that I think are coming from a, a non-pronomian orientation, right? Um, I wouldn't say antinomian necessarily, but non is not. Okay, Caleb, final question is non in this context that I'm talking, would you say there's a difference between antinomian and non-pronomian? Yeah. And yes. And actually, so uh, this, I, we touch on this a little bit when I talked to Andrew Schumacher, who uh, he, uh, he is the director of beginning of wisdom, which is basically dedicated to showing that, uh, he says the Hebrew roots, but I think that it's better to say he's really working to show that the Torah is not applicable for, um, for, well, that certain parts of the Torah, like the kosher laws and the Sabbath, are not applicable for Christians today. And so when I talk to him, which you can find my uh, conversation with him on pronomian.com, when I chatted with him, he said, I would consider myself pronomian. And actually, if we look at uh, Greg Bonson, Dr. Bonson's uh, definition, he was the one who coined the phrase pronomian. If we look at his definition of pronomian in the in his introduction to by by this standard, um, then pronomian certainly is a sliding scale. There, he says that there are people who believe that the law is is beneficial for a believer uh, today to study and to you know there are parts of it that should be lived by. All the way to people who believe that the temple sacrifices should should still be uh, going on today, and so he gives this extremely wide idea of pronomian, which is one of the reasons that I have tried to show various views on pronomian.com. All right, that's it. That's what we're going to, we're going to end it right there. And uh, we will be back next week live, Lord willing, uh, with another show. And yeah, uh, we hope that uh, everybody's had fun, even though we weren't here live with you today. All right. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. 